Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, January 12th, we're studying Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. Newly pregnant with Jesus, the Virgin Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, who is six months along carrying John. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Mark Bars. Pastor Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Great to be with you. Great to be with our hearers this morning. This is a fantastic text we have before us, Pastor Bars. As we get started this morning, we're not too far along in Luke's Gospel, but there is some context that's helpful. What should we know about what's happened so far in the narrative and, and anything about the Gospel according to St. Luke that will help us with this text for today? Well, what I'd like to do first is, is set our stage within the church and the calendar year. So in the calendar year, obviously we're into January of 2022, one of those, one of those hard-to-believe things that's happened already. And this past Sunday, we celebrated the baptism of our Lord. So backing that up, where it's not that far from Epiphany, from the Christmas festival, from the Advent season. And so as we, as we look at the scripture, we see, well, how does it fit into all of that? This would have been very much an Advent season text. In fact, I'm sure that any number of, of pastors, uh, I didn't, but I, perhaps you did, preached on this back, back during Advent. And there were lots of pieces of music that fit with that. So I'm going to just use a little bit of that, which I believe will cover yesterday from uh, Gabriel visiting Mary and yet to today. So this is a hymn. It's a, it's a Bosque carol, very unusual in that respect from that region of near Spain and France. And I'm going to sing three stanzas of the angel Gabriel from heaven came. The angel Gabriel from heaven came With wings as drifted snow, with eyes as flame All hail to thee, O lowly maiden Mary Most highly favored lady, Gloria for know how blessed mother thou shalt be, all generations laud and honor thee. Thy son shall be Emmanuel by seers foretold, most highly favored lady, Gloria. Then gentle Mary meekly bowed her head. To me be as it pleaseth God, she said. My soul shall laud and magnify God's holy name. Most highly favored lady, Gloria. The angel Gabriel from heaven came out. The wings is drifted snow. I'm not quite sure about that, <laughs> but all hail to thee, lowly Mary. And 
and you will be the blessed mother. And then she, uh, the hymn writer, or the hymn writers, it's kind of odd where this one came from, uh, weave in phrases from the Magnificat, all generations laud and honor thee, the angel says, as though, yes, and she says that about herself, and Elizabeth will say that about her. And then in the third stanza, my soul shall laud and magnify God's holy name, anticipating the Magnificat. So today, Elizabeth is, is the host. Mary is the, I think, a surprise guest in her home, in the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And then it will end with another, that hymn that I just sang was only to set, give some setting for it, but it will end with Mary's hymn, The Great, the great Magnificat. So the, the narrative will continue and move along in chapter one and into chapter two. And I think according to what, you, what you've told me with your schedule on Friday, it will be, it will be Christmas again. It will be, it will be the, the birth of Christ and that great story with another hymn, with the, with the Gloria, with the Gloria in excelsis. Now, I, I read some notes on this and it, it made me do a little bit of searching and, and looking back at a story that I would have never connected to the whole birth of Christ and Mary being chosen to be the mother of our Lord. So I'm going to take our, our hearers, our listeners, back to 1 Samuel, to the story of the ark being stolen by the Philistines. Mm. So if they wish to check it out, 1 Samuel chapters 4 through 7. There's some really bizarre things that happen with tumors. And, and then uh, when they return the ark, they put golden tumors and golden mice inside of it. And it's just a really strange story. And it sits in a home in the hill country for a time. But then we jump to 2 Samuel where David retrieves the ark and brings it back into Jerusalem. Now, the reason I will suggest this story is because there's some interesting parallels. David and Mary both arise and go on a journey, 2 Samuel 6 and here in Luke chapter 1, into the hill country, and they are, they are greeted by shouts when they arrive. David at the ark, Mary greeted with shouts of joy from Elizabeth. And even the language of uh, what's called the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it uses a word that, that says there is an intoning of a, of a blessing, which is what happens for David and what happens when Elizabeth blesses Mary. And then it's this whole untouchable holiness of the ark and David even says, why or how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And Elizabeth says, why should this happen to me? Why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then just this final detail that, that they move the ark into the house of Obadadom, and it stays there for three months. And here Mary is, a guest in Elizabeth's home for three months. So I'll let our, our, re, our listeners uh, ponder that a little bit later on their own, and I'll keep doing the same thing. It was just a story that I never would have imagined until some other writer helped me see that, see some parallels there. Uh, there's definitely 
something to chew on with that connection and and maybe it'll come back up as we read so we're gonna we're gonna split this into two parts we've got what is often called the visitation that's in verses 39 through 45 and it's an event that's on our church calendar each year and then there's the magnificat mary's song of praise so we'll we'll read about the visitation first that is beginning in luke 1 verse 39 in those days mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in judah And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So that's Luke 1, verses 39 to 45, often called the visitation. Mary goes to see Elizabeth. Pastor Bars, one of the things about this text, and we were visiting about this before we started recording, is, I mean, this this is just a very human event here. For a woman who's found out that she's pregnant to go and visit a relative who's also pregnant, this has happened countless times across history. And to see Mary and Elizabeth participate in that, just as a, it's just very refreshing to see how, I mean, just real scripture is. This is a real history. Now, in in terms of that real history, it says in those days this happened. Mary's found out she's pregnant. She's going to go visit Elizabeth. How might this have have worked? It wasn't like hopping on an airplane in those days. Well, the Christmas story, which again, we've just celebrated a couple of weeks ago. I, I I always raise the question, especially in a Bible study or with the youth and say, what about that donkey? And they say, oh, the donkey. I said, there's no donkey in, in, in Luke, but there's always a donkey either on the Christmas card or in the TV special or whatever it is, or the nativity, the nativity set, right? Well, I think, man, she was great with child and to have to ride on a donkey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. So she's early in her pregnancy and, and she arose and went with haste. So she wanted to get there. The only thing she knows is what Gabriel has told her, that your relative Elizabeth, she's now six months pregnant. And, and that has to be wonderful news. I doubt that there were any emails or texts or phone calls made, probably even no simple letters exchanged. So this is, this is brand, new, brand new to her. And as you said, sure, to see one woman with child want to see her relative who was with child who has never been with child this this amazing event and she doesn't know that story yet i'm sure in those three months uh with with the words of elizabeth and with the sign line language of zechariah she's she learns more about that story i also wonder this pastor apple and i wonder when she leaves who has she told in nazareth and, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole on this, but I, I, always, I always suggest that when the, angel, when the angel left her, she hurried to tell her parents. She, she wanted them to know that God was keeping his promise, that the promise that we knew of, the promise that we believed in, the promise that we hoped for and prayed for, it's happening. And, and I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. What we don't know is if she told Joseph or had a chance right. to tell Joseph, and we get that story in, in Matthew, of course, you know, what, what he is wrestling with, wrestling with doing. So she, she goes with haste, and she enters the home, and, and I have to think that 
that she has to be tired when she gets there and and you and I are you and I are husbands, you and I are dads, and we know, especially early in the pregnancy, maybe there's more weariness than usual. And she's so glad to be there and hasn't been able to call or text ahead of time and, and simply says Elizabeth and and Elizabeth recognizes her voice, which is one part of the story, but this marvelous, this marvelous action that that speaks of the brephos, this this unborn child, a Greek word that's used for a child in the womb yet, as well as for a newborn child, just a common word, but it means both. And it, it's that the unborn John greets the unborn Jesus. The unborn way preparer meets the unborn Messiah. How wonderful. Every, every time that that... I think I think mothers would have to rejoice in this scripture more than anything. But but fathers too who, who put their hands who put their hands on on the stomach and 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 feel their their child their unborn child move and say what a witness and and what a powerful what a powerful part of this simple but rich story. Mm, yeah, I mean it really is beautiful and I don't remember when this first dawned on me sometime as in the time since I've been a pastor that what's going on here, you know, you you can see Elizabeth and Mary in this scene. And so Elizabeth, or sorry, Mary gets to Elizabeth's house, and, and suddenly there's this outburst of joy that really kind of, I mean, it almost ping-pongs around the room from one person to the next, but it starts with the with the kids. The, the kids steal the show. And it, it, it dawned on me at some point that there are there's actually four people in this text, two of whom you can see, one of whom who's a little more visible, and then one who you would never know is there except for what happens. And it just it's remarkable to me how those those two kids end up stealing the show, those being John the Baptist and Jesus, who really is the cause of all this overflowing joy. Exactly. Exactly. Really, really, absolutely true. And and so, what is what is the response? Now, the text tells us something interesting about Elizabeth that that she is filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a part of the promise that Zechariah heard that his son, his promised son, John, John the baptizing one, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. But but this happens here, and exclaims with a loud cry once more. How does she know that Mary is carrying the unborn Messiah? But blessed are you and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Is she even showing, you know, the attire back then? It, it just wouldn't even be the kinds of things, you know, the so-called baby bump that, that, that somebody sees and talks about. Now, I wonder, I wonder if she's pregnant. I don't, that, but she knows. She knows because the Holy Spirit blessed are you among women, which is to say, blessed is the fruit of your womb. She knows, she has been told, she rejoices. And, and in, in some sense, and I want to come back to this in a little while, but, but she's the first worshiper of, of, the, of the Christ. And, and yet she feels honored, doesn't she? Verse 43, why is this privilege granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? We don't know the relationship, the relative. Is she an aunt? Is she? Uh, we don't know. We speculate. We wonder. We wonder about that. But she is blessed to be visited. So she speaks blessing, and then she 
she doesn't use the word there, but, but she is blessed as well. There, there is an interesting, interesting way that Luke uses his language here as well. Um, he uses a word that if we turn it into an English word, I suppose the word we know is eulogy, mm. although we use it in a very different way. When we hear of a eulogy or when we consider what a eulogy is, we think it's probably a, when somebody dies and somebody speaks nice words or good words, which is literally what that means. But this is the word for blessing here. This is the word, this is the word that's being richly used. It's, it's taking a, a, a Hebrew barach. It's, it's turning it into to the language that, that Luke writes in and the language that we are given in the New Testament. And there will be a little bit of a contrast, I'll, I'll hint at that right now, to, to being blessed or using blessing in a different way. Well, I'll, I'll say it, it's, it's the word from the Sermon on the Mount that we might know, blessed are they, blessed are they. And, and the word there, the word there is makarios. And it's, it's interesting that this word will only be used of humans, makarios will, where the other word can be used to bless God. And, and so, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb, but Mary herself, Mary herself, when she says, all generations will call me blessed, but she speaks, she sings her song of praise and blesses God who is mighty and who has done great things. One of the things that really stands out to me with Elizabeth's words well, I mean, a, a couple of things. I guess, uh, and just having spoken about the Annunciation previously in the in the show yesterday, thinking about Mary being called the the favored one or the one who's been given grace, and we talked about what that means and what that doesn't mean. You know, here Elizabeth, she is she's blessed. She exclaims, "Mary is the blessed one," and she recognizes the favor of the Lord upon her. But, but notice, I mean, I think this is something, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. So not only is she excited, joyful about Mary's visit, but the fact that Mary, by visiting, has brought the Lord to her. And perhaps that, that's a connection to the text you brought up from 2 Samuel 6, that, I mean, yes, Mary is here, but Jesus is here too. And that's a big part of the blessing of the visitation for Elizabeth, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And she and she offers that greater blessing of or speaks of the blessing of Mary in verse 45, because she believed that there would be a fulfillment. Uh, Luke begins his gospel. And I believe that would have been last week, last Friday, that that he says he says many have undertaken to complete a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us and she believes elizabeth knows again filled with the holy spirit she knows something about how this interaction happened when she was told mary hasn't had the chance to say it was an angel and oh zechariah was meant. they'll 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 tell all that story yet in those in those three months but she she trusts and longs for that fulfillment i there were many people, we know this from the Gospels, who when they see Jesus in his whole ministry and everything he is and does and says and proclaims about himself, refuse to believe that he, that he is the Messiah. Mary believes as soon as the angel speaks that God is keeping his word. The promise is made will become in her, by her, the promise kept. Yeah, I mean, so these these words from Elizabeth, she exclaims how wonderful these things are, how blessed she is, how blessed Mary is, how blessed is the fruit of your womb. That's a you mentioned that that first word for blessing, 
is used sometimes of people, but is also used of God. And that's part of what Mary, or not Mary, Elizabeth is recognizing here when she speaks, blessed is the fruit of your womb, because that's the Lord. You're the mother of the Lord, Mary, so blessed is the fruit of your womb. Again, uh, Elizabeth is it's just always amazing how when we think about Mary, you know, the focus, and we'll see this, I think, in the Magnificat particularly, every time we talk about Mary as the mother of our Lord or the Blessed Virgin, all of these things don't so much magnify Mary as much as they do the child she carries. And I, I suppose that many of our hearers, you know, the mother of our Lord, the Blessed Virgin, um, the mother of God, they say, well, are those really... Are those really? Is that really the language that we use as as Lutheran Christians? I suppose there are people listening. You know this better than I do, who aren't Lutherans as well, which is great. Which is great. But well, we're just using the language of Scripture, and and of course, what you just said, it, it allows us to say, the Word became flesh. Uh, this this is reality, and 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 it didn't. He didn't appear. He didn't zoom in as Mork from Ork or something something bizarre to show up. And he could have, he could have appeared as a full grown man. He could have splashed down in the Sea of Galilee or landed, landed on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, but he's carried in the womb of a virgin mother and a guardian, a guardian husband father and, and birthed and laid in a manger wrapped in strips of cloth with those shepherds who, who show up, I guess, don't want to get it tomorrow or next, <laughs> next couple of days, a couple of days down the road. But it's the story that we know and, and we've heard and, and we, we rejoice in. This is, this is God with us. This is, this is Emmanuel. That's, that's the child that John greets in the unborn. John greets the unborn, greets, greets the unborn Messiah. Yeah, so two miraculous conceptions, really, I mean, different, distinct, absolutely distinct. I mean, here is, here is Elizabeth, this postmenopausal, infertile woman uh, who, who is rejoicing when Zechariah sign languages, the, what, what's, what's going to happen, and it does. And, and Mary, who says, but, but I'm a virgin, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the Son of God will be you know, the, the Holy One, the Son of the Son of God. And the relationship here—here here we have a little bit of a, oh, I don't know, a little bit of a of a tease, as it were. Here's John, and here's Jesus, and it will be 30 years later that that the story plays itself out in in much different ways. Will they will they even meet again until at the Jordan River? I, I don't know. Uh, it's possible that they're relatives and, and, and different things, but, but yet here it happens. Here it happens in, in a simple detail, but a, but a significant detail when, when Elizabeth rejoices that the greeting of Mary, that's all it took, the voice of Mary, that the child she, that she carries, that Elizabeth carries, greets the child that Mary is carrying. And, and that, that does happen because of the work of the Holy Spirit. As you pointed out, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit when she exclaims this. And yet, at the same time, you know, I think you said earlier, we see Elizabeth as the first worshiper of the unborn Christ. And yet John is participating in that worship in the womb at the same time. And, and recognizing his role here, too, I mean, it, I think it's, it's quite something to see in these first couple chapters of Luke, how I mean, we know John is the forerunner of the Christ, certainly in his preaching, 
but really in everything that he does, he he comes before Christ. And it's almost as if, you know, before he before he's a 30-year-old man in the wilderness pointing to Jesus and saying, behold the Lamb of God, here by his leap in his mother's womb, he's pointing Elizabeth, look, there's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. So already, even as an unborn child, we see John serving as that preacher of the Christ, which is again just a marvelous thing for, and not only in the in the whole of the scriptural narrative, but and I think in our context too, we we shouldn't pass by that too quickly. That we we see the the personhood of the unborn in this text very clearly. In our culture, as as we know and we've heard uh, news about things that are happening in the Supreme Court and different states and all. It, it is an ongoing prayer for the church to make for for the unborn, for those who are fragile and yet and yet too unprotected. But what a great story to to rejoice and be able to share with God's people of of this unborn child. May I just give a little bit of an outline here on this section from verses 39 through 45? It does have a sort of a, a sequence that that you might label A B C and then A B C again. So you have you have Mary's travel is verses 39 and 40, and she arrives at the home. And then, and then it's, it's, it's the leaping, uh, the greeting of the unborn child, and Mary, or Elizabeth as well, greeting Mary. But then there's this great cry. That's, that's a word that we're going to come back to again, especially in the Magnificat, this, this, this mega, this great cry. And and then the home is mentioned again. The mother of my Lord is in my home. That would be verse verse 43. And, and verse 44 echoes, echoes what John did in leaping in her womb. And she says it was because it was because this child, this child recognized and, and greeted and greeted uh, the mother of our Lord again. And then blessed. Uh, she speaks blessing in verse 42 and blessing and blessing in verse 45. She knows that, that Mary believed Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. She knows that she just didn't know it was going to, it was going to happen through her. And now Elizabeth is part of that story and John and Jesus. And as you said, there's four people here and, and four people, four central characters. Jesus, of course, is the star and must, must be the star. Mm-hmm. That is a good place to take our break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Luke chapter 1 with Pastor Mark Bars. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, January 12th. We're studying Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56 with Pastor Mark Bars. He serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, prior to the break, we were looking at the visitation, verses 39 through 45. We looked at a lot of details. Any more comments there on the visitation before we move on to the Magnificat? 
It is, it is an interesting way to ponder how these characters are, what their roles are perhaps. And I'll, I'll only suggest this. It's not, my, it's not my unique phrase, so I borrowed this from others who have said, Mary's the first Christian. Hmm, really, is there a first Christian? Well, she is the one to whom the Christ is given before anyone else even knows that the promise will be kept. And, and then Elizabeth becomes the first worshiper with her words of blessing, her, her language that, that speaks this great blessing, that, that John, by his movement in the womb, becomes the first proclaimer. And as you, you mentioned, yes, he will point, literally point to Jesus. And even here, I think, as John will say later on in, in, uh, in the Gospel of John, he says, he must increase, I must decrease. That's, that has to be what God is even showing us here. It's, it's not two who greet each other, but, but John who, who honors and greets Jesus. And that's because Mary is now the tabernacle. She is the one in whom the place where God will dwell, but, but temporarily for, for this part of, of his incarnation, that his enfleshment, that, that he dwells within the mother's womb until, until he is birthed and seen and, and cared for and lives and grows and ultimately carries out his full mission of salvation. So the visitation is a scene of great joy, and I, I've, I've thought of it before. I don't know if this is the best illustration, but there was that video game where you had that ball that you were trying to break the bricks, and you remember if you got it in the top and it would just started bouncing up and down really quick, you could break a lot of bricks. So that's kind of how I pictured the joy in this text, is the joy is just bouncing around all over the place, <laughs> and, and it bounces from John to Elizabeth, and it does reach Mary in the Magnificat. And that's where the text moves in verses 46 through 56. We get the Magnificat. And and this is a significant text for many, many reasons, one of which is that it is the first of four canticles that Luke records for us. As a part of our circuit pastors meeting back in December, the, the pastor who preached was preaching on this text, and, and he made note of the fact, you know, Luke is a physician, and he tells you he's going to write an orderly account, and you might think you're going to get a dry textbook, but he's the one who gives us these four canticles, uh, and, and of great joy, and the Magnificat is the first. So any help us to introduce, I guess, the canticles as a whole, if you'd like, and then particularly the Magnificat, what we're going to encounter in Mary's song. It is, it is a marvelous thing. I, so well said that you'd think the physician, he talks about his orderly account, but but the canticles, so, so the Lutheran Witness from, from December, and you can't, or the curious can't see it, but I'm holding one up right now. It has on its title, Christmas Canticles, and this being the first one. So, so we have four, I mean, although they're not maybe all Christmas story, but they're part of this whole, this whole early narrative in Luke, and they all fit together. So you have the Magnificat of Mary. We will have, we will have the Benedict, uh, Benedictamus of of uh, Benedictus, whoops, the Benedictus of uh, of Zechariah when when John is born, and then the Gloria in Excelsis, the choir of angels sings uh, over the fields near Bethlehem, and then Simeon, the Nuptimitus, forty days later when when the child is brought, the rites of purification and presentation that happen, and and each one of these are rich in the church's song, 
They, they are used in different ways. They're used in parts of the liturgy. Some we use more often than others. The Glorian Excelsis, perhaps almost every Sunday, there's an option for another hymn of praise there. Uh, the Nuc Dimittis, at, after receiving the Lord's Supper, again, our Lutheran service book gives us some options there as well. And, and the practice of using the Nuc Dimittis at a funeral, I don't want to get ahead of your, your, your other people who will be guests on your show, but to me, that's so rich, uh, so rich and uh, meaningful. Uh, very often, the last hymn that I sang with one of the saints of God was the Nuc Dimittis. So, so here's the Magnificat. It, it's, it's first, not, not necessarily in, in greatness. Um, it's used perhaps not as often in our worship because it's tucked into Vespers, an evening or late afternoon service. It's part of evening prayer in the Lutheran service book. So Mary, and we say says, she sings, maybe because the church has sung this for so long, we have to imagine that, that they took a melody and they made up a melody. They, they were uh, spontaneous and, and singing. Maybe they, used, maybe they used psalm tones that they knew already from chanting the psalms, but they, they need to be sung. The church, the church sings them still and will sing them until, until our Lord returns. So, Pastor Bars, what about the this again? We I think maybe we don't sing the Magnificat as as much as we could, I, and I'm I've it's on my mind because we you know had all those Advent worship services and we were using evening prayer here and we sang the Magnificat. So oh, I'm wait, I'm yeah. used to to singing it regularly. What's the what's the structure of the Magnificat? How does it lay out? And, and again, it says Mary said. I I think it's not a, a stretch to think she sang it or chanted in some way. So how does it lay out? I mean, if you were to think of it in, in stanzas or verses, how does it lay out structure-wise? Right. It does have it does have two parts to it, and it may be a little bit of a little bit of a closing here. So first, first Mary in beginning in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. And really up through up through verse 49, and it, it are, we, we make it neat in English, and we, we have nice, neat sentences, but this thing just goes on and on. <laughs> when, when you look at it, when you look at it in, in Greek, or you, you know, we add punctuation to go, well, maybe we stop it there. But it, but it is. First, first she gives thanks, and this, this contrast between humility, and being exalted. Now, Mary isn't chosen because she's the most humble young woman in all of Israel, but but her humility is to receive a gift, an undeserved gift, and not to say, well, I know you would choose me because because I I was the best one for this. You looked on the humble estate of his servant. I am the Lord's servant, she said in verse 38, in in reply to the angel, to Gabriel. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And there she uses that word, that that second word that Elizabeth used, which is uh, the Makarios word. She uses that word to call me blessed. Remember, it it only applies when that word is used. It only applies to humans. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, we put a period there, but but we're really going to say, the thought continues, and yet this is where the division happens. It's not that she's just talking about herself, but
but she's making great. She's magnifying the Lord. She uses the word that begins in Greek with mega, and, and we know that for a lot of reasons. Things are, things are mega in our world. They are, they are greater than, than other things, but she magnifies. She makes great the Lord. Her, her spirit rejoices. He has looked on this humble on this humble servant. Servants should be humble. That's that's their role. But yet, yet we're humans, and we're humans, meaning meaning we're sinful. And to choose humility, well, what does what does Paul write in Philippians chapter two? That our Lord humbled Himself and took the form of a servant. And Mary is an echo of that. Long before long before that scripture was written to the church in Philippi. Uh, she, is, she is a model for that. He who is mighty has done great things. There's that mega word echoed again. The, it's, really, it's really this way. Um, he, has, he has, to me, great things done the mighty one. So uh, the word for the mighty one there is also, is also the word that we might know a little better from a passage such as Romans 1, where it's translated uh, the power of the power of God, the, the dynamis of God, the, the dynamite of God, the self-contained power. That's the mighty one. That is the hot donatas. He is, he is the mighty one. It, it could perhaps and maybe even should be capitalized in that way, has done great things to me. And holy is his name. The one who has said, the child in, within you will be the holy one, the son of God. Well, the holiness that is a part of God's very nature is reflected in this first section of her hymn. It's amazing how much Mary, you know, this is called Mary's song, but she's singing about who God is and what he's done. And and the one, I think we kind of maybe passed by it because it's a word that I think we're pretty used to hearing, but part of what Mary sings about God is that she he is her Savior there in that very first verse. What, what's, I mean, what does that mean, that God is her and our savior well it's also interesting that that luke uh, of more than well luke rather than matthew or mark is the only one who he's the only one who uses this this particular word this particular word soter uh for savior and and that he is my savior not not in a possessive any kind of selfish way but that this is his mission it is it is it is not an abstract thing. It is a for you. It is a for you mission. And Mary realizes that and Mary affirms that, which is why when we sing the hymn, uh, we, can, we can sing the same thing. We can sing how thankful we are that, that I can say that this is my Savior, how, how great in God my Savior, his great love, his rescuing, his seeking us. And I think a, a bit of a, a foreshadow, again, not to get too far ahead, but you can't help but think through Luke, and, and with Christmas on the brain here, having just come out of the Christmas season, this is what the angels sing to the shepherds as well, of, of who... So she is rejoicing in, in God my Savior. I, I, I don't know. It, I wonder, is she thinking about God the Father who has sent the Son, or is she thinking about the Son she carries? Uh, obviously, we would say yes <laughs> for us, uh, and, and I, I don't want to put words into Mary's mouth, but... Mm -hmm. Either I think would work in this case, and and maybe is a you, know, you I, Mary being the first Christian, as you said earlier, that in carrying the Christ, she I I'd I'd like to think that when she sings, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, 
she's thinking of the child in her womb. I, I can't prove that, I suppose, but she wouldn't be wrong if she was thinking that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, the, I want to come back once more to the humility and the mercy uh, that, that Luke's gospel is, is perhaps described helpful to, to it is, it is about the, the least and the last and the lost. And, and, and it's always, it's always gift. It's, it's, course are the great stories the great stories in in Luke chapter 15 of the of the sheep and the coin and the and the runaway son the lost the lost sons but but this is this is what what Jesus is about and this is what Mary knows this is God's character that his mercy from generation to generation so that's the transition at verse at from verse 49 to 50 that his mercy for Rather than it, rather it's not necessarily first person as she begins, but but it is. She is giving thanks for for what he has done and what he is doing through me, and then and then she sees it and, and announces it and proclaims it proclaim, proclaims it more broadly. Now I've counted. You can count this differently, but I've counted eight ways that she will affirm who God is and what God has done and is doing. So I'm just going to take them pretty much on, on the verb. So in verse 50, it's, it's his mercy. In verse 51, it's showing his strength. In, in a, that's the first part of verse 51. The second part, he scatters the proud. Verse 52 would be the fourth one. He brings down the mighty. At the end of verse at the end of verse. 52, the fifth one, he exalts those of humble estate. Number six is the beginning of verse 53. He fills the hungry. And at the end of that verse, he sends away, empty the rich. So that's seven. And lastly, he has helped his servant. He, he, is, the, he is the help of his people always because he remembers his mercy. He remembers that he is gracious and merciful that he is full of chesed, full of steadfast love toward his people. Mm. Now, others have counted maybe six and, and leave, left off the first and the last one. But but when I kept looking at this, I said, no, I'm going to count. I'm going to count all eight of those attributes and actions that that Mary affirms in the Magnificat. Well, with those actions, however you number them, there there does seem to be quite a bit of contrast between the two, such that you know, I mean. Some of them go together very clearly. So, for example, in verse 52, he brings down the mighty from their thrones, but then he exalts the humble. And then in verse 53, he fills the hungry, but the rich, they go away empty. So, I mean, depending on how you count them, six, eight, but I think the pairing of them and the the ways in which God acts in one way toward those who are, are humble and in another way to those who exalt themselves, I think is, is a pretty big theme here in the Magnificat. Can you dig into that for us a little bit more? Oh, this is, these, these contrasts, these contrasts are rich, that, that, that God is, is acting, you know, to show mercy, I suppose that might even be one of those that, that in, in our way of thinking, uh, to show mercy is, is even just to be nice to people. But then he follow, she follows that by saying, he's shown strength with his arm. He has this, he has this, uh, this this kratos it's this it, it's it is I, I i hesitate to bring this up because 
studying Greek mythology in high school was painful to me. I just I found it was the most one of the most boring sections in English literature. But but there is this Greek god who is called Kratos, and and he's called strength, and then he comes back and superheroes and and all all kinds of that. But no, what does she do? She says, "This is the god of mercy. This is this is the god whose mercy never ends." Psalm one hundred and thirty six. His steadfast love endures forever, or his mercy endures forever. And read that psalm again. Perhaps you read it around Thanksgiving over and over. It is, it is the beginning of Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. This is, this is behind. And is Mary remembering some of those psalms when she, when she sings this? Perhaps so. But it's just, it's just embedded in, in, her, in her spiritual the depth of her spirituality, and then uh, yes, shown strength to scatter to scatter the proud. Not, I mean, there's there's action that goes on here rather than just saying stop being so proud. He he just he just makes their 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 pride to be to be useless, to be to be done away with, and and brings down the the mighty from their thrones. Uh, the Christmas story and and the Epiphany story that was just. That was just last week. The mighty Herod, who who uh, was finally is brought down by an absolute disease, but but this new king, this new king that he is so afraid of, this little child king, he will bring down the mighty from their thrones. He will he will later he will later say to Pilate, another ruler, "My kingdom is not of this world." Pilate has no idea how great his kingdom is. So he brings down the mighty from their thrones and the contrast to, to exalt, to lift up those of humble estate, those, those who are broken. The, the, the people of Israel in Egypt who are, who are forgotten, they think, for over 400 years, the, the, people, the people in exile in Babylon, and, and the people at the time of Christ who are... Who are Occupied by the Romans and and think that their only salvation is finally to revolt in some way and and cast off those burdens. They don't know that there is going to be a greater revolution and a, and a greater hero, the one the one who is God, our Savior, to fill the hungry with good things, to fill the hungry. I mean, there's so much in the Gospels of of of. Bread multiplied for the thousands by the shore of the Sea of Galilee to Jesus then in John 6 after that miracle. Sneak this one in. It's the only miracle that's in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000, that he declares himself. He declares himself the bread of life to say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And and Mary is maybe once more uh, reflecting that wonderful little phrase in Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But the rich, the rich are sent empty away, not just the rich ruler who, who goes down the road, the rich young man who, who won't give up his treasures, but, but the treasures of the kingdom of heaven are, will leave everyone empty who, who trusts in whatever he or she or whatever our world tells us to cling to and to trust. The thing I love about the Magnificat after after you get through verse fifty three, and I know, I think maybe if you, I don't know if it's a, a whole nother stanza, but I think there's an important shift that happens at verse fifty four because all this strength of God's arm that He's chosen these various ways, 
now Mary makes it very specific, and she shows that this isn't just some sort of generic kind of like God loves the little guy sort of thing, but he's doing something very specific, and he's keeping a promise that he made to Abraham and to his offspring. And that's where she really takes us in verses 54 and 55, where she speaks now of what God is doing and has done in the past for Israel. Help us into those last two verses of the Magnificat. It is, it is his promises, his, his rich promises for, for his servant Israel. He will call in the book of Isaiah, he will, he will call Israel his servant, and he will promise another servant to, to be the servant to them, the one who came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. All the promises, uh, that, that wonderful verse from, from 2 Corinthians, all the promises that God has made find their yes in Christ. As he spoke to Abraham and said, you will have a great offspring, Abraham, who, who himself was childless, who was, a, who was a Zechariah, or who tried to take matters in his own hands, the whole Ishmael story, but becomes the father of many nations, the, the children of Abraham, the, 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 the new Israel, the, the church that, that trusts in the one who has made us sons and daughters of the heavenly father who dares as the writer to the hebrew says who dares to call us his own brothers and and by whom we cry out cry out abba father and and rejoice in our place in the family of god and then pastor bars that last verse 56 after mary finishes the magnificat she stays about three months and returns to her home so Sometime around the birth of John, she goes home. We got about five and a half minutes, just as a, a heads up. I don't, I've always wondered, and maybe we don't have too much time, but whether or not that means that she left right before John was born or right after John was born, I'm not sure. I like to think that she hung around for John's birth, maybe through the eighth day, watched him get named, and then she went home. But I, I don't know that for a fact. Nor do I, and, and this would be some of our sanctified, some of our sanctified wonderings. I, I, I wonder too: is there, is there some, is there some reason that she would not want to stay, uh, only because now her pregnancy itself becomes more visible, and perhaps that would be a confusing story. What can, what can she tell them yet, and, and what can be said? Elizabeth knows the truth, and and Zechariah, I'm sure, will soon will soon learn the learn the truth. But when the time had fully come, Paul writes to the Galatians, when the time had fully come, uh, of course, that's in the big picture of of all of God's work. But she goes back to Nazareth. The census the census is decreed. The news comes even to uh, forgotten. Nazareth, and and they go on their way to register back to the ancestral hometown, and and then and then the child the child is born. If I may, there's a little bit more about this making great that I would like to come back to. So that's the the Magnificat comes from the Latin word to make to make great. Um, the the word that I've suggested a few times already is the Megala, the the great deeds of God. And there's, there's just a few different ways that, that I would connect this. This is going to jump into a very different story, but I remind our hearers of what happens at Pentecost when the apostles uh, with the flames on their head and the sound of the mighty wind, and, and they're speaking in all these different languages, and we have this 
interesting, interesting comment that all those people from around the Mediterranean basin who, who are pilgrims, uh, uh, Passover pilgrims there, and, and they say this, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Well, the mighty works of God could be a lot of different things. It could be creation. It could be the flood. It, it could be the exodus out of Egypt. But the mighty works of God, the great things of God, are his acts to bring salvation into the world, who has done a mighty deed to fill the hungry with, with the, the feast, the feast of salvation. So this mighty act is ultimately what Mary is focused on. It is the child that she carries, the child that she will birth, who will, who will bring this to fruition, who will create the new covenant people and, and bring us finally into his first into this kingdom and to his final, the new heavens and the new earth is his gift and is his promise. Pastor Bars, we got about two minutes to wrap things up on the morning. You mentioned that you had sung with your people there at Grace Lutheran, and we sang it here at Crown of Life on three Advent Wednesdays. Wednesdays, we sang one of the other settings of the Magnificat. If if our listeners and many of them are familiar with the Lutheran service book, they can go to the back and also find some other hymn versions of the Magnificat. Some of those are just wonderful to sing. But, but this one from evening prayer, uh, I actually use it for our staff devotion uh, just, just today. Even though we're past Christmas, I wanted people to hear it again and to hear Mary's song once more. And it, it begins like this. It has this refrain. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I suggested to them, and I'll suggest it to our hearers, if it harkens back to Advent, or if it, or if it lets you continue uh, the Christmas celebration well into January, well into 2022, uh, that this could be your, your, your blessed earworm for a time to sing this. And and close, I don't know if you usually do this, Pastor Apple, but this is there is the word of blessing that has been going on that Elizabeth to Elizabeth to Mary and and Mary saying, The Lord has blessed me. So I want to leave and I want to say to close my section of this with the with the benediction that we hear so often. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Pastor Mark Bars is pastor at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us today with Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. Pastor Bars, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure to be with you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Luke chapter 1 or any of the gospel according to St. Luke, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.